Welcome to a very spooky edition of wow. The Late Fee. It's the spookiest time of year, Carol. It is. And we're going to talk about six spooky movies. Aren't y'all just so happy? Because six is the, the devil's number, that's why. This is our special, special Halloween present to you. That's right. So eat it up while you eat your candy. <laughs> you sound a little like Elvira. <laughs> Okay. Mistress of the dark. That's weird. She looks a little like Elvira, too. I do not. A little bit. I wish I looked like Elvira. Uh, You do a little (laughs) bit. Anyway, so we're going to talk about uh, three movies each. Uh, Some of our favorite horror movies. I hate how you say that. (laughs) That is not the word. It's horror. What are you talking about? You know what you you know what you do horror horror. You sound like you're choking on some candy corn. Uh huh. <laughs> sound like I'm choking on something. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's a treat for so me. You sound like every time you say horror. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, we're here to talk about three horror movies each. There you go. Uh, I guess I'll start. Uh, the now I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd say these are like our favorites. They're some of our favorites. I don't know if I would say this is my definitive one, two, three. Hmm. I mean, it's hard to come up with a completely absolute total my one hundred percent favorite of anything. That's why mm-hmm. I have multiple favorite colors and favorite foods. But right. these these are definitely near and dear to my heart. So my first one. Mm-hmm. Is the 1979 classic Aliens or Alien? I was gonna say <laughs> Aliens is not a horror movie. Aliens is a like a sci-fi thriller or something. Okay, but the original Alien is very much a horror film. Direct. I'm gonna hurt you. <laughs> Like, at one point, you're just going to hear pain sounds, and that's going to be me Ooh. to him. But that is that is spooky. That's the in, in with the spooky time. <laughs> Boo! Uh. <laughs> oh, my God. You sound like such a dork. <laughs> Can't you dork. just picture him hiding behind, like, a door in your house? <laughs> what? You walk in the kitchen to get a snack, and then you just hear, boo. <laughs> would, you, would you run in fear? You should. <laughs> if I'm in your house, then something's gone horribly wrong with both my life <laughs> and your security. Right, right, right. Oh, sorry, go ahead. So Alien, directed Alien. by Ridley Scott, is a, a, a I think... It could be called a horror classic. It's definitely, it's a haunted house film in space. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a scary movie. It's just, I think that it falls into both, like, horror and sci-fi. I can, I understand that there are sci-fi elements, um, 
to it. For sure. But it's the the first of all, the ship, the Nostromo, that's um looks like it's it's well, the first time we see it, it looks crazy. It doesn't look like it's I you can't say seaworthy, but it doesn't look like it's space worthy. Okay. It's not streamlined, it's not sleek like a lot of you know, ships like the Starship Enterprise or something like that. It's a monstrosity, and it, it's designed to look like a haunted house. Weird. So if you look at it again, it looks like one of those like old Victorian haunted houses in spaceship form. Huh. And that's kind of, that, that gives us the motif. But really, it's, it's a classic, like, monster-type movie. You know, like a like kind of a uh, slash, a <laughs> cross between a slasher and a monster movie, okay. because we have an alien slowly stalking every member of the crew and killing them one by one, always one on one. But it's it's an amazing film. The way it heightens tension, you could. You could say that some, maybe even the other films on the list, on my list anyway, that they took inspiration from this. Really? Because it's, it, well, it's a very, it's very slasher-like. So we get introduced to a bunch of characters. They're all, you know, work working people on this ship. The, the dialogue, the language and everything in the movie, too, the way they look and the way they interact with each other, it's very, it's very believable. They don't seem like they're these polished, like, you know, best of the best kind of all, you know, just the, or all the right stuff astronauts. Right. They're working miners. You know, they're like, they're just working class slubs on this ship coming back from a job, basically. And that's how it, it plays out. Except all except for probably Sigourney Weaver and Tom Skerritt. They seem more professional because she's the, the science officer. And he's a doctor? He's the captain. Okay. But Dallas, the captain of the ship. And Tom Skerritt was a, a big star at the time. Sigourney Weaver wasn't. And so you people really thought that Tom Skerritt, you know, Tom Skerritt's got to be the hero. He's the protagonist. He's the one that's going to live till the end. And then he doesn't. He dies. <laughs> and this woman that you don't know any about anything about, the final girl, another slasher trope, right. is the last one left alive. So, like, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, even though they're different kinds of movies, obviously, they take a lot of of direction from this movie. They get a lot of their tropes from this movie. And obviously Halloween before it. But, you know, that, and I like, there's so much to love about this movie. The cinematography, the, you know, naturalistic uh, kind of environments and, and speech, people talking over each other. It's, it's, it's awesome. Uh, but yeah, that's that's one of my my favorites right there. What about you? What's your first movie on the list? Now, let me ask you, when you're going down your list, did you start with the one you like the most? Oh, um, who? Good question. Yes, I think so. The, the one I'm going to talk about first and the one I'm going to talk about second are pretty close. Same. So we're doing the ones we like the least last. Yes. Okay. Okay. Although, although, like I said, I like all of them. So. Oh, yeah. I like them all, too. Okay. So I'm going to start with The Shining. Okay. So 
This is one of my all-time favorite Jack Nicholson movies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's one that I, probably one of the first scary, I think all of these are like the first scary movies I saw. I'm not sure which one was very first. All in one day? <laughs> Maybe. Um, but no, it's uh, the Overlook Hotel, Jack Torrance, mm-hmm. Danny Torrance, yeah. and Wendy Torrance. Red Rum. <laughs> and... This movie, it's like you're 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 kind of going crazy with him, as as he's you know going. They're going through the winter, being isolated. He's trying to write a book, and it's like the more undone he is, the scarier the movie is getting. Well, it's interesting too because Stephen King famously does not like this movie mm-hmm. because he said that Stanley Kubrick made Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. And not Stephen King's The Shining, which is true. Yeah, I can't argue that it's not. I mean, it's very different than the book. But they're both good in their own way. Yes. To to Stephen King, because Stephen King was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and it, it like the for him the book is about alcoholism, like the madness and the descent and the way the the hotel works on him and everything is like. Uh, the way alcohol like destroys a mind or something like that. I don't know. Well, the character is an alcoholic also. Mm-hmm. I mean, it he ends up relapsing. Yeah. On spiritual liquor. I don't even know. It's so it's so. <laughs> is weird. it real? That's that's a that's an interesting question because it's a ghost bartender that gives. Can ghost bartenders are they licensed to give real alcohol, <laughs> or is it just ghost alcohol? <laughs> right. I, yeah, I've always kind of wondered about that. Like, he really seems drunk. Mm-hmm. But where did it come from? I think he just either the ghost is able to to interact with the real world and he's really giving him whiskey or he's he's imagining well not imagining it but seeing it but also like not realizing he's picking up the glass the bottle himself. I think he's really drinking. But there's not supposed to be any alcohol there. It's all locked up. That bar was closed down. Maybe he stole it out of there. Maybe I guess the ghosts did. I don't know. That that movie's so weird. They, there, there's uh, you know ghost guys getting blowjobs from <laughs> furry uh, like bunnies or something like that. It's so weird, right? And like one of my favorite scenes, and it's I think it's pretty iconic, is when you know that same time where we're seeing the ghost blowjob, mm-hmm. but Wendy sees the just river of blood coming out of oh, the yeah. elevator. Yeah, classic, classic. Like, it's just, I love everything about this movie. <laughs> Those little twins. Yeah. Come and play with us, Danny. Oh, my God. Forever and ever. That's some producer's kids, you know that, right? Oh, yeah. I bet. I'm sure I know. Oh. <laughs> you, know the ce- you know the scene where he goes into the room that no one's supposed to go in? and Yeah, room 237. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, like, making out with the ghost chick. Mm-hmm. The woman in the bathtub. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? I, I don't remember if he was already drunk at that point or what, but he's just a terrible person. That's cheating, right? Right. I mean, even though it's a, a dead hag ghost. Yes. It's because, still cheating. First of all, she wasn't a hag when it started. And second of all, um, he made the decision to freaking kiss her before he knew anything. So Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, he hurt Danny. He yeah. cheated on his wife. Right. He's not a good guy. He's checking all the boxes. Yeah, he, Spousal he, abuse, too, probably in some way, right? Because he's coming at, at her for, with an axe. Well, I mean, at that point, he's just, he's gone. <laughs> I don't even count that as him anymore. Oh, well, 
I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, he's kind of like the hotel's tool at that point. <laughs> it's like he's a puppet. They've got their hand up his ass. It's Oh, wow. Like, all work and no play made Jack a gone boy. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. great, great uh, movie. Yes. And, and even though Stephen King, who is my favorite writer, hates it, I still love it. <laughs> it's a classic and definitely... Definitely worthy of anyone's list, I would say. Yes, and if you enjoy reading, the book is also worth a read and oh, yeah. very different. So then you can, yeah, you know, at least understand why Stephen King's pissed. The book's really good. Yeah, as well. That one and Salem's Lot are my favorites by him. Ooh, that's interesting. So I like uh, what he's doing with the Dark Tower right now. Mm-hmm. So far, and other than that, I. Uh, I like the stand quite a bit, and the shine. You know, the shining would be up there for me too. Okay. So my next movie on the list also is you could argue is not a hundred percent a horror movie or not. Not, I don't know. Like it's another monster type movie. Okay. It's uh, 1975's Jaws. Yeah, it's it's both it's both a horror and a thriller. But, I mean, it is a, I mean, the the shark's a monster. I agree. Yeah, it's it's in the the realm, I guess, of like the Wolfman and stuff like that, and a Dracula. Sure. Because it's a monster. Now I haven't seen Jaws in a while. Okay. Does the shark do anything otherworldly or unshark like? Well, there's when he explains his plan to. <laughs> To Robert Shaw, <laughs> liar. Says, Listen, good boy. No, it's it's no, it's just a shit. So Peter Benchley wrote this book Jaws, and it's based on two different things. It's based on uh, some shark attacks that were happening off the coast of New Jersey, I think in the sixties or maybe the fifties. And uh, this friend the guy that he knew that caught like a huge, like twenty-two foot great white shark. Uh, off the coast of, I think, Martha's Vineyard, which is where they shot the movies in Martha's Vineyard. Okay. That's where Amity, the the fake island is, is Martha's Vineyard, basically. But, so, it's it's just, it's like a man versus nature kind of novel. And in fact, the movie ends, it's, it's you know, there's some Moby Dick kind of, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> y- you know, similarities to it. And it ends very Moby Dick-like, sort of, where the the shark just succumbs to attrition. Basically they, they keep harpooning it, spearing it, stuff like that. And eventually it just dies, just bleeds out from its injuries. Right. And Spielberg, eventually that was going to be the way it was going to end. But Spielberg decided that it needed a more spectacular ending. So he came up with the idea of the, like the oxygen tank or whatever it is in the, in the shark's mouth. And then the, um, Shooting the gun and having it explode. And Peter Benchley said to him, who's he was on set, he he was a, a, a reporter. They A lot of times in movies, they'll sneak the writers on set by giving them a small little role so, that, right. so they can help work on the script and stuff like that because most studios won't pay to have the writer there. So they give them a little role on the film and then they can be there. And he said to Steven Spielberg, because he wrote the script too, they worked on it together. He said, this is dumb. This, is, this is, wouldn't happen in real life. And no one's going to buy this. Mm-hmm. And Steven Spielberg said, if they've come with me this far, they'll they'll buy it. Which is true. I mean, yeah. no, no one questions it. 
He's right. But famously, the shark did not operate well. They had a, a pneumatic con- or a, yeah pneumatic controlled shark that moved with air and like you know different mechanisms and stuff like that, and it didn't work super well. And because of that, they couldn't use it much in the movie. The shark's on screen very, very little in the movie. So they had to come up with other ways to like show the shark was there, but you don't see the shark. Like They came up with that barrel, the barrel idea. They're mm-hmm. throwing barrels over. and So that's like you know the shark's there, but you don't see anything because the shark's underwater. <laughs> it's kind of scarier almost. It is. It makes it a more, because you don't see it that much, it makes it a more frightening you know, kind of experience the, the few times that you do see it. Mm-hmm. I do think that the less is more works a lot in horror movies. Yes. But yeah, it's, it's a great movie. A fantastic cast. You know, I, I mentioned Robert Shaw, uh, Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfus. There, there are the, the, those are the main three Hooper and, and Quentin uh, Brody. And they're fantastic in the movie. The, obviously Spielberg. Spielberg got the job because he directed a movie called Duel. Okay. Which was uh, about a truck driver like trying to kill some dude or something. <laughs> trying to kill John Voight. And he... Like, they they offered him they offered the movie based on that, the producers, because they were like, oh, that's a good thriller, you know, maybe he'd be good for this. And Steven Spielberg decided to take it because he said, well, Duel has four letters and Jaws has four letters. So, Duel was a good experience. Maybe this will be a good experience, too. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that basically... imagine living life like that. And that basically launched his career. Because <laughs> he did the Sugarland Express, he did Duel, and then he did Jaws, and Jaws was the first, like, blockbuster movie. It was the first movie to ever make over $100 million, and it was the highest grossing movie of all time until Star Wars two years later. <laughs> Till his buddy George Lucas made Star Wars, and then, <laughs> and then it was all over. But yeah, great movie, great tension. There's not there's not much I can say about the movie that hasn't already been said. Some classic lines, you know, where uh, Richard Dreyfuss says, uh, "I can see you're going to ignore this particular problem until it swims up and bites you in the ass." <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, there's. I mean, you know, it's it's a great movie. One of the things I think is interesting is. There was a subplot in the book where uh, Hooper has an affair with Brody's wife. Okay. That they cut out. And then there, the mayor was supposed to be wanting to not close things down because he was under pressure from the mafia. Like he owed money to the mafia or something like that. Or like they had some sort of financial interest. Like that was in the book and they cut that out. Kind of glad they cut that out. Me too. That's too. And I, I'm glad they cut the affair part out too. Oh, it's too, that's too seedy, I think. The movie's so much better without it. Yeah. And then the one, they introduced Quint because he was watching a Moby Dick. And they showed him in the, in the theater watching Moby Dick. Obviously, an allusion to the, the, the book and, and, you know, a lot of themes that occur in this movie. But Gregory Peck, Gregory Peck, yes. who starred in the movie, owned the rights to the film version of Moby Dick. And he said to the producers, no, I don't want the movie. I don't want my movie in this movie. He wouldn't give them permission to use it. Huh. So they had, they had already filmed the scene, so they had to cut the scene out of the movie. Wow. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's one of those situations where it's kind of like lightning in a bottle, right? If everything had gone right, the movie probably wouldn't have been as good. 
Like, the movie was a success because of the things they did to fix all the things that went wrong. Okay. I got that. But yeah, that's uh, that's my second one. What's your second one? So funny to me that your first two are, are like, on the edge, on the cusp of horror. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that says about you. That I'm not a big fan of horror. I guess. Because I can't say it. Yeah, <laughs> that too. So no, I do. I do like horror movies, but I. Well, we were talking about this. I was like, "Would you consider these horror movies?" And you said, "Yes." Yeah, I mean, I do, but I'm just thinking they're they're much like my next is Nightmare on Elm Street. Right, classic, classic right. horror movie. I'm I'm more into, I guess, the classic horror movies. I could have brought up Halloween. Right. But I, I'm not to spoil anything, but I'm not bringing up Halloween. <laughs> but I do love Halloween. Yeah. Me too. A low budget classic. I believe the most profitable movie of all time, I think. Really? Yeah, because it was such a low budget and it made so much money. Like, I think it made something like, I don't know, like. 80 or 90 million dollars in 1978 and I think they made it for like 12 grand. Wow. I don't I don't know. I that's don't quote me on that. I don't know exactly what the but I do believe that it's one of if not the most profitable movies ever from from budget to what they made. Okay. Well, Nightmare on Elm Street has one of the classic horror villains, Freddy Krueger. Yeah, Frederick Krueger, I believe his name is. He haunted my nightmares when I was a kid. They have a scene in this movie where she's running from him and, like, running... Who's she? Nancy. Okay. Nancy. Okay, okay I'm sorry. I guess I'll back it up. Heather uh, <laughs> Heather Langenkamp. Yeah. So, Freddy Krueger can um, go into people's dreams, give them nightmares, and actually physically harm them or mm. even kill them while uh, they're sleeping again i believe his name is frederick stop it <laughs> he will come for you next. he's not a child <laughs> although he likes children he does that's that's how he came to be because he was molesting children and no no that's not correct okay I'm you're sorry. you're thinking of a fact that you know about the movie that's not actually in the movie Okay. Because originally he was supposed to be a child molester and murderer. Right. But then Wes Craven, uh, you know, they they looked at the stuff and everything and they were like, yeah, this is too much. Like, child molester is too much. So there's no there's no real hints of the child molester subplot that they were going to put in the movie in the movie anymore. Okay. He's just like a straight child killer. Okay, so he likes to kill children. Right. But you're right. It just wasn't in the movie. But you're right about that. I mean, also not in this movie, I believe, probably in one of the sequels, is that he's the product of his nun mother being raped. Really? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember that. I, I don't know that I've seen all of these movies. See, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I've seen all of them, but I don't have a great memory. So it's like, unless I saw something super recently, mm -hmm. it's fuzzy. So, anyways, Nancy is the main character of this movie. She is already having nightmares, already not sleeping well kind of when it starts. Yeah. She has a bunch of friends over because her parents are out of town, and she doesn't want to sleep alone. Mm, no? I don't think so. I don't think that <laughs> happens. I think you're just making up the movie. I'm not. I'm pretty sure that does not happen in the movie. 
The first thing that happens is that Rod and and his girlfriend, the blonde woman, mm-hmm. the first victim whose name I can't remember. It's yeah, that dies. couple. They're at her house. Right, that's what I'm saying. Because she was having them stay over. No, that's not. They're not at Nancy's house, are they? Yeah. I thought they were. Oh, maybe they're at the other girl's house. I thought they were at her house because they're doing it. Okay, okay, fine. So it's not Nancy's house. It's her other friend's house. Yeah. Yeah, they're having sex. But they were all spending the night together. There's two couples. You know what happens when you have sex in a horror movie? You die. That's right. It's, it's, and that definitely follows in this movie. Mm-hmm. It follows. That's right. <laughs> so, and, and you, you see... you have sex, you die. It follows. Right. You, uh, <laughs> you see, like, Nancy's friend, I can't remember her name, the blonde, though, getting just, like, dragged around the mm-hmm. room and sliced open, but it's you can It's a nice effect. See. Yeah, what's doing it? It's kind of cool, right? And there's it doesn't make a lot of sense if you stop and think about it logically, though. Hmm. He's attacking people in their dreams, but it's happening in the real world. Like it's, I don't really get it. It doesn't make it doesn't make a lot of sense if you think about it logically. I think it makes sense a little bit. Like like he's kind of like in the spiritual plane, okay, hmm. and he's able to manipulate the world like a ghost. Okay, so that I get. Mm-hmm. What I don't get is how she defeats him later. That I don't get. Yeah, well, there's lots of about the ending we'll talk about. <laughs> because, well, we're just, I mean, we're not going to go through the whole movie, so no. we can talk about the ending right now. Oh, go ahead. She, she is in the hospital mm-hmm. and manages to, because they sedate her, she manages to pull his hat out with her, right. out of her dream. Yep. So she's like, oh, I can pull things out and I can affect him in the real world. You know what makes no sense either? Huh. Is like her mom is all like, she says Freddy Krueger's name because mm-hmm. she hears it or whatever. He says it or somebody <clears throat> right. says it in the dream. And she's like, oh, honey, uh, let me put your mind at ease. Uh, Freddy Krueger can't get you. Uh, we burned him alive. Yeah. Mommy killed him. <laughs> and and she's like, now go to bed. You know, mommy just bur- <laughs> burned him to death. It's fine. And then she pulls his hat out of her, like, it materializes from nowhere. Right. Out of her dream. And her mom's there. It's on video because she's in, like, a sleep study clinic when it happens, right? And nobody's like, oh, well, this proves it because where the fuck did that hat come from? They're just like, oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. She's like, huh, where'd that come from? Weird. (laughs) And, okay, so she gets out of there. She gets home. She's got a whole plan mm-hmm. of how she's going to take him down because yep. she's going to pull him out of her dream. She freaking takes a bunch of sleeping pills. Because mm-hmm. she wants to go to sleep, yeah. Which sounds really fucking dangerous. And in 10 minutes, she home alones her entire yeah. house. Yeah. It's insane. It's like like mousetrap the game all over. <laughs> like how? And then and like she calls her dad mm-hmm. and like tells him. John Saxon. And in the amount of time, he's like across the street. Right. <laughs> that amount of time. Come she, over in 10 minutes. Yeah. She manages to do all this bullshit. So, yeah. The whole thing is not realistic, but I still love it. Because Freddy is truly terrifying. Because what is more terrifying than knowing that if you fall asleep, mm-hmm. you're going to get killed? Because you have to sleep. Right. And, and of course, uh, Johnson Depp's in it, too. And he's, yeah. he's you know, dreamy. Yeah. He's okay. An early, kind of like a Nightmare on Elm Street with Kevin, or not, I mean, uh, Friday the 13th with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> he, it's a, like, you know, early de- early depiction of, of someone that later becomes a star. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, great. The the ending though, like you said, how he def- how she defeats him with the whole like I don't believe in you or whatever. Yeah, it's stupid. And then I mean, the very end is even worse because it's like then they try to act like the whole movie was just a bad dream. No, that's that was the original idea. The original idea was the movie is called A Nightmare on Elm Street, meaning this entire movie is just a nightmare. That was going to be the the thing at the end. Like, it was just a dream. Everyone's fine. And then they were like, no, we don't like the producer. Like, no, we don't like that. So make it seem like Frederick Frederick Krueger's still around. And... He's laughing because I'm giving him the look to kill because I don't like that. So anyway, they, they write in this ending where... It's empty. They're <laughs> throwing water all over the place. They're writing this, and they write this ending where the Fred, Freddy Krueger is still around, and he's got them all and everything. It doesn't make any sense. None of it makes any sense. No. The ending suddenly doesn't make any sense anymore because they undid the "it's just a dream" thing. Yeah, it's like they 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 take you from shoot beat him. To, it was actually, it's just a dream, because her mom dies earlier in the movie. Right. To, it's not just a dream, she's dreaming now and he's going to get her. Right. And then the second one is not even about her, and then she does come back eventually. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we talked about the one she comes back in. Well, that was, we talked about Wes Craven's new nightmare. Yeah. Nancy's in that, isn't she? She is, yeah. but she's playing herself because it's like it takes place in the real world. Right. And, yeah, so that one's a little different, but she does. She comes back, I think, in the Dream Warriors or Dream Child okay. or one of those. She comes back in one of the other ones, too. You know, and, and I know this isn't the one we're talking about, but my, my, my most favorite scene in a Freddy Krueger movie, Pizza. Oh yeah, when he's when he's the... eating pizza and he's stabbing the little sausages have their faces. I don't know right. why, but I love it and it makes me want pizza. I like when he's that's weird. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I like when uh, he turns into a TV and he says like "prime time, bitch" or whatever. And he like <laughs> smashes that girl's head in the TV. Uh, uh, no, the that's one thing. So Nightmare on Elm Street is not my favorite. It's I mean the the original movie I like a lot. But that the series, I mean, mm. is not my favorite of the series, just because I like Robert England a lot. He does a good job portraying Freddy, but it's too quippy. It's too much like, you know, I'm going to be really silly and funny. Mm-hmm. There's you the, need a little of that. A, a little. And I think the first one is enough, is like just enough, like it rides the line of just a little. But it gets too outlandish as they go on. It's like the writers of the screenplays are like, well, we're going to write a comedy <laughs> and then just put Freddy Krueger in there. Sure. That's kind of what they, it seems like. So which one is your favorite of the series? Well, that leads us into the last movie that I'm going to talk about, which is uh, Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives. Which you haven't seen many of the, the Friday the 13th movies. No, and what I've seen have been like bits and pieces when they're on TV and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we we watched this one. Yeah, he made me watch it. We rented this this one from our local blockbuster and watched it. It's to me if you want like the best of the slasher ones, then 
you would watch part four. Uh, okay. Which is the final chapter where they supposedly kill Jason. And then part five is the Friday the 13th, the porno. <laughs> it's got the most nudity of any of the Friday the 13th movies, and it was directed by a former pornographic director. Well, that explains it. You need to feel at home. And it's very, it's very like they're lingering shots on nudity and stuff. It feels very cheap and tawdry. But part four is excellence. Part four, we get inter- introduced to uh, Tommy Jarvis. I hate Tommy Jarvis. Why? Because of this movie. Okay. Six. Yes. Well, Tommy Jarvis appears first as Corey Feldman, and everyone loves him because he's a little kid. And I think he's based on Tom Savini. Tom Savini did the the effects, the all the kills and stuff like that. He did all the special effects for the first movie, and then he didn't come back for the second or the third movie because in the first movie the killer is Jason's mom, and then. After that, it's Jason himself, and Tom Savini was like, this doesn't make any sense. I've got to come back for this bullshit. But he came back to full for, for part four because everyone told him, they're like, it's the last one. We're going to kill off Jason, and he wanted to kill off. You know, like, he was like, okay, well, I was here for the beginning of this franchise. I want to be here for the end. So he came back for, for this, and he, Tom Savini's brilliant, like, brilliant special effects guy, does great, uh, you know, like, practical special effects with, with different... Um, all the different kills, you know, very inventive and everything. The 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 arrow through through the neck of Kevin Bacon in the first one is still like it's so creepy and iconic. <laughs> but so he came back for this one. I think they based Tommy uh, Jarvis off of him because he's like he makes uh, like monster heads and stuff like that. He's like really interested in them. And then they they abandon that in in part five. He's like. traumatized from his experience with Jason and is in like a mental asylum Mm. or not like a halfway house and somebody starts killing there. It turns out it's a copycat. It's not really Jason and everyone hated that. So in 1986 they said, okay, we're going to give everyone what they wanted. We're going to give everyone what they say they wanted and we're going to make sure that everyone knows it because we're calling it Jason lives. (laughs) And this movie it, it's the first movie where Jason is very explicitly a supernatural entity. Right. Because as you mentioned, Tommy Jarvis comes along, says, I want to make sure Jason's dead because I keep having visions of him, which was something they carried over from part five. And he's like, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig up his body from the grave and I'm going to cremate it. I'm going to burn it. But first he gets all like freaked out. He grabs... Somehow he grabs this iron railing from this gothic cemetery and stabs Jason with it. Then there's a bolt of lightning. Very Frankenstein. Yeah. And he gets reanimated. And the Tom McLaughlin, the director of this movie, was a big fan of the old Universal movie monsters and stuff like that. So that's, you know, it's obvious It's obvious in here. And at the beginning, there's a lot of, like, rolling fog through the cemetery yeah. and stuff like that. It's very atmospheric. <laughs> there's you, there's a lot of really nice touches. And this movie's more of, like, an action movie. It has, like, action movie elements to it. It has uh, some comedy elements to it. It's more tongue-in-cheek about itself. It's more self-aware there's a lot of that in it, and it elevates it, I think, more than a Friday the 13th movie. 
See, those are the things, some of the things, anyway, that make me not like it very much. Okay, so you tell me why you don't like it. Well, it makes fun of itself, and it's so self-aware that it makes it stupid. But what are you going to do at this point? You know, like, and that's the thing is we're kind of looking at it through a different lens because we're looking at it through a lens of we're, you know, almost 10 years on from when this movie was made. And, you know, the like the horror genre and movies are different now than they were back then. But I mean, throughout the 80s, there was a Friday the 13th movie every year of the 1980s, except for 1983 and 1987. Wow. So, you know, they made one of these every single year and they seemed, you know, they seemed, they started seeming formulaic, right? Right. So they wanted to switch things up. So I think it was a welcome switch for a lot of people at the time. Okay. But yeah, I mean, what, like, what are the other things? Like, so, like, what are the gags that you don't like? Well, I just, I mean, I don't like the amount of gore. And like you even said when we were watching it, it's like they just add characters in to kill them. That is part of the problem. The part of the problem with part five and part six to a degree is that there are so there's so many characters. Like like yeah, like you said, that's what I said. There's so many they, they just introduce somebody. And it's like okay, well they're the next people to be dead now. Mm-hmm. It's that's a problem with the with all these slasher movies though. But they don't they don't develop characters. And I just I don't like gore. I'm not into the whole slasher thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's why I like. Like Freddy because Freddy's a sla- that's a slasher movie. Mm, no, it's it's more fear based. I mean, it's not just like oh, some guy with like a weapon is coming to kill me. It's like this guy is in my dream. It's a this guy, guy is- with a uh, claw glove. <laughs> but he's in their dreams. I mean, that's that's more frightening. Sure. In my opinion. Okay. It's still a slasher movie. It follows all the tropes. It, it's def- they're slasher like for the Nightmare on Elm Streets are definitely slasher movies, sure. And that's what the Halloween movies have become. It didn't really start out that way. The first one's not really a slasher movie, but anyway. So yeah, and and like you don't like when he throws the guy against a tree and there's a smiley face there. His blood. No, makes- that was freaking stupid. Thank you for reminding me. And then and then Jason lifts up the, his hand and he sees that the guy's arm's still there. That's the first time that Jason realizes, like, what is going on? Like, I'm more powerful than before. Yeah, the whole thing is just stupid. See, I think Jason works in a way that that others don't sometimes because he works as, like, he's not a character. He's just, like, a force of evil. You know, he's just, like, a force of nature. It's basically, like, death stalking you. Okay. Death stalking you mm-hmm. is, you know, again, a supernatural being. Yeah, but so is he. Now. Now yeah. in this movie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I won that argument. <laughs> it's late. I don't have a lot of fight in me. Um, But yeah, there's, like I said, this, it has action elements. There's the RV that gets flipped over, and then Jason is just standing on the top. It's There's flames down below. It's like an action movie. It's like, yeah, I can see Arnold Schwarzenegger standing on top of an RV like that in a movie. Because there's a car that gets flipped over? That's an element in an action movie, not a horror movie, yes. Alright. I'm I'm ready if you want to go ten rounds on that. I don't, I don't. You know what I want to see? What? I want to see Freddy versus Jason. 
Okay, well, Freddie would kick Jason's ass. Oh, I don't know about that. And eat him for breakfast. Oh, you think so? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess I, the, the thing is, is, like, I don't know if they'll ever make the movie, but I want them to. They should They should get Freddie, Jason, and Michael all together. Well, see, the, that's the problem. The problem is the rights issue stuff. So, like, I think they might now actually make a Freddie versus Jason movie because that last one, uh, which we talked about briefly, Jason Goes to Hell, terrible movie. Yeah. It, that New Line put that out. Because New Line Cinema bought the rights to Jason, and they are the ones that own the rights to Freddy Krueger. So now they're in the same movie and just movie company. So now I think they actually could do it. So I, you know, I'm sure that they're working on scripts right now and and stuff like that to to try to make that happen because that would be huge. Um, but that, they couldn't do Michael because Michael Myers is owned by. I don't know now. I think I think just uh, I think John Carpenter just owns it. I believe. Hmm. I don't know. But anyway, go on to your final one. So, my final one is the one that I made him watch, and I'm kind of regretting it now. I hadn't seen it in a very very long time. It's an older movie, and uh, yeah, it's not it's not as great as I remember. But we saw Howling. 1981's The Howling. And, yeah, I mean, it's 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 good in that classic way. Like, I, I had nostalgia for it when I was watching it. It's like I'm remembering the different characters and how, you know, they're cool and remembering being scared, remembering being scared as a child, but not actually feeling any fear watching it as an adult. It's not a scary movie. No. It's a weird movie and a movie that makes you think, but it's not a scary movie. Does it really make you think? What does it make you think? Um, that there's a lot of howlings out there. I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, like, the beginning of the movie, they set up this news reporter. She's on, like, undercover stakeout from this This guy has been stalking her, calling her, and she agrees to meet him. Played by D. Wallace. It's, like, not smart because they lose no. contact with her like yeah, immediately the, the police aren't the police aren't anywhere near her apparently for some reason like the whole thing just seems very poorly planned out so she ends up in a penny what did they call those penny arcade penny arcade or whatever the, except a, it was a quarter it's apparently a por- yeah well it's a porno palace yeah so and this guy's in there making her watch the porno film robert picardo and then he's like, I'm going to make you feel so good. And mm-hmm. like all this like stuff that just makes you, you know, you fearful that he's going to like rape her. She's married to an asshole too. He wasn't an asshole at first. No. Until he became a howling. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's not, it's scary. And, and the police then when they do come to save her, they just blindly shoot. Well, the one guy does. The one guy just starts shooting into the yeah, booth. Yeah, that's true. He was, like, younger, and then the older cop was like, what is wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, what are you yeah. doing? But, yeah, luckily they don't hit her, and they think they kill this guy, but they don't because, you know, he's a were- werewolf. Yeah, they didn't realize he was a howling somehow. Yeah, he's just started calling them howlings. I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll catch on, babe. Who knows? But, yeah, so they then she's, like, very disturbed, and... The, this psychologist suggests that she goes to this commune, com, like this community, yeah, filled with character actors from Days Your. <laughs> John Carradine's there, and 
Uh, Dick Miller's there. The the one the one lady looks like Elvira. She does kind of a little bit, yeah. And she's dressed in leather, and her brother's dressed in animal skins, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's very Technically, weird. Technically, they're both dressed in animal skins. You know, I honestly thought that in the very beginning, when uh, the main character was in that little arcade thing, mm-hmm. that he had scratched or bit her. Oh, yeah. But I guess not until the end. No. Huh. But yeah, so they go up there, and to make a long story short, because it's, it's a long movie. It is. It's a slow pace. Very long movie. I, I didn't realize how much movies have changed uh, since 1981. Right. But... It's a slow-paced movie. Like he kept asking me, "Is this is this a horror movie? Are there are there werewolves in this movie?" Right. But yeah, it turns out everyone's a howling in this movie. Yeah. So they go up to this community, and Elvira sleeps with with the girl's husband. Husband uh, first bites him though, bites him and makes him a howling. Yeah, either her have, or her brother. I I don't know. Th- there's a lot of. Uh, a lot of boobs in this scene. There's a lot of uh, nakedness in this movie. There's the, they're showing the porno in the beginning. They're showing the. And then sex. Joe Dante makes a porno at, at some point in the middle of the movie <laughs> because it really it lasts a long. It time. really does. And then there's this terrible, terrible like where they turn into cartoon wolves having sex or oh, something yeah, yeah, like. Yeah. Oh, it's weird. That was cringeworthy. That would haunt my dreams more than Freddy right? Krueger. But in the end, uh, her husband turns into a werewolf. She, her best friend, gets killed, and she ends up exposing the werewolves on not live television. TV. Yeah, the, so yeah, her friend comes and saves her by getting some silver bullets. Just walks in and steals them too. And he he ends up saving her, but she gets bit, and then they agree that she's going to expose. Because it's like this cult. Like it turns out that there's like there's a bunch of howlings just living amongst us and everything, and and it's like this cult of them, and they want to take over the world or something. And she's going to expose them, and she's going to expose them by turning into a howling on national TV, which she does. And then her friend shoots her, kills her. Yeah, she she turns into a werewolf. She's crying, and he shoots her. What's up with that? Like her husband turns into a werewolf and is a complete and total dick. Mm-hmm. So was he already a complete and total dick? Because she seemed to remain a caring, normal person. See, I think she gives this speech at the end about how all people should be like have the right to be able to reject their animalistic nature and stuff. But for for some people, that right's been taken away, and uh-huh. she's like, "I'm one of those people, basically." Um, so I think the implication is is that she can't once she turns into the howling, she's just going to become evil. Right. And that's why he shoots her. Because if she could have just turned into a howling and just been like, and that's the way it is, and just been <laughs> nice, then I don't think that there would have been a reason to shoot her. Right. Okay. Well, yeah, it was sad. It's kind of like a zombie thing, sort of. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, this is her friend has to shoot her and everything. It's it, it, There's parallels to that. I can see that. But, yeah. So, that I mean, it's an okay movie. Yeah, I mean, I loved this movie when I was a kid. I watched it several times, and I, I thought it was a fantastic, scary movie. And it's fine. But, yeah, it's only fine now. Yeah, it's not great. No. I, I would not rent this one. Yeah, probably not. Just hold on to whatever nostalgia you may have for it. Like, I, I, I ruined my nostalgia. If you can catch it on Channel 20 late at night or something like that. Don't. 
Oh, okay. Don't don't watch it at all, then. <laughs> Never watch it. Just remember it fondly. Watch Gremlins instead <laughs> if you want to watch a Joe Dante movie. There where Rick go. Baker does the effects. <laughs> but anyway, that is uh, our special for you. So enjoy the rest of your Halloween. Yeah, happy Halloween, everyone. Don't get tummy aches. Don't uh, go to sleep and don't run into howlings. Check your candy for poison. Mm-hmm. And don't go to Cramp Crystal Lake. Right. And don't fly in a spaceship. And don't go to communes with howlings. And don't swim in the water. Ever. And you'll be able to avoid all the things that we talked about on this episode. That's right. You know what that is? Huh. So I can't remember the name of the guy that did it, the sound producer that did it. But it might actually, I think it's just Henry Manfredi who does all, he, he does, he did the, the score for every Nightmare on Elm Street, or I mean Friday the 13th film. Uh, which is awesome because it's like it gives a cohesion to the series. But uh, he so in the first movie, um, Mrs. Voorhees, played by Betsy Palmer, who only did it because she wanted to buy a car, um, says like, uh, "Mom, mom, mom, kill!" Like that's what, like she's like Jason's like whispering to her, "Mom, mom, mom, kill, kill, kill." So that's oh. what that is. That's him saying, mom, 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 "Kill, kill, kill." Really, and it's it's put through a uh, repeat at the repeater. It's a a, a thing in, in music. So just <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's what that is. That's so much creepier now. <laughs> that's pretty cool. But anyway, that's uh, that is the episode, the special. Uh, tune in, you know, next next Monday, next Tuesday for next Monday for nine oh two one oh. Next Tuesday for you know, just come back. Happy Halloween. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.